That is good news this morning. God is on the throne. He will reign forever. No matter what your problems or sufferings or sorrows today, hear this good news. God's on the throne. He's in control. He has it under His power. Let's pray together. Lord, thank You for this gathering. Thank You for these people who You have gathered in Your presence to hear Your Word, to sing Your praises, to enjoy each other's company, and to challenge one another to be all that You have called us to be. We thank You for the good news of the Gospel this morning that though we are sinners, that though our best deeds nailed our Savior to the cross, that You have full forgiveness and complete atonement for us in Jesus. We thank You for this Gospel truth that we are Yours, that we have purchased and that we are safe and we are secure in You. So Lord, help us to live in the good of these great truths. And we pray that You would teach us this morning by Your Word, by Your truth. Open Your Word to us that we might behold wondrous things in Your Word. Help us to listen to You. Help us to bend our hearts to Your Word and show us Your wisdom. Show us Your grace Show us Your kindness to us, to give us Your Word, to teach us. We pray that You would do that. Give us wisdom today. Help us to discern between Your wisdom and the wisdom of this world. We need Your help with that, and so Lord, we pray for it, and we pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, let's jump back into the book of James now. James was written to wake us from our apathy and indifference. James is like a bucket of cold water thrown onto our sleepy faces. And so let's turn to the book of James. This is God's Word to God's people about God's ways. And so we would be wise to pay careful attention this morning. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. James chapter 3 beginning in verse 13. James says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the Word of God. May God inscribe its truth on our hearts. Well, I've long been intrigued by the period of history known as the California Gold Rush. In 1849, which, by the way, the team, football team in California called the 49ers. This is why they're called the 49ers, because it was in 
49, hundreds of thousands of people moved across the country, sacrificed everything to move to California in search of gold. They were willing to leave their homes. They were willing to leave their families. They were willing to leave what was familiar to them because they, they knew there was a possibility that they would strike it rich. However, they quickly realized that not everything that glitters is gold. Instead of finding real gold, many miners found what is known as fool's gold or iron pyrite. It looks like gold, but it's not worth anything. It's worth the same as any old rock. And so these miners quickly developed tests to determine if what they found was real gold or fool's gold. Good miners could easily tell if they had found the real thing or not. Well, the Bible repeatedly, and particularly in places like Proverbs 2, tells us that we should seek wisdom from God as if we are seeking precious treasure. God tells us again and again that finding His wisdom, gaining His insight, understanding His ways is like pursuing priceless treasure. Proverbs 16, 16 says, How much better to get wisdom than to get gold. Wisdom from God is so valuable that we should spare no expense to get it. Which is why our passage this morning is so valuable. Because in James 3, verses 13 to 18, James helps us to distinguish between the world's wisdom, the fool's gold, and God's wisdom, the pure gold. James actually contrasts these two different kinds of wisdom so that we can tell whether we are living according to worldly wisdom or whether we're living according to the wisdom given to us by God. See, at every stage of our lives, in every decision we make, we make those decisions based on the wisdom we have, based on what we think is wise at the time, right? We live according to wisdom, all of us. And so the question is, Whose wisdom are you being controlled by? Whose wisdom controls your decisions? Are you directed by the world's wisdom or are you being directed and controlled by the wisdom of God? Friends, please hear me. Just because something is shiny and attractive doesn't mean that it's gold. All that promises to be gold is not gold. And just because something seems wise to us doesn't mean that it's actually wise. Our world and our culture is full of people who are offering wisdom to anyone who will listen. But just because someone says they're wise or thinks they're wise doesn't mean that they're actually wise. And in this passage, God gives us a framework to evaluate our lives and the decisions that we're living according to. James says we're either ruled by the wisdom of this world or by the wisdom of God. And so, which kind of wisdom controls you? Which kind of wisdom controls your family? Which kind of wisdom controls the decisions you make about your future? Well, notice how James introduces this teaching about wisdom in verse 13. James asks a rhetorical question. He asks, who is wise and understanding among you. It's as if James is saying, could you please raise your hand now 
If you think that you are wise and you are understanding, please, we would all like to learn from you. So could you please raise your hand if you are, if you are wise and understanding? James is appealing to something intrinsic, I think, in all of us. Namely, the assumption that we are indeed wise. I mean, think about it. Everyone assumes they are wise. Right? We make the choices we make because we think we know what's best based on our understanding of the world. Now, as Christians, we know that it's not really prudent to declare ourselves to be wise, but don't we assume that we are wise? And we assume that we are wiser than most other people that we encounter? But James goes on in verse 13 to sort of, to sort of give us a couple tests to determine if we are wise according to the wisdom that he's referring to here, God's wisdom. Notice he says first that true wisdom is shown by its works. True wisdom is shown by its works. He says, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. And so James says wisdom is shown by its actions, not just head knowledge. Wisdom isn't shown by just raising your hand and saying, yeah, I'm wise and understanding. What James says, then show me. Show me your wisdom by your actions. And so right here at the beginning of this passage, we have this sort of radical reorientation of the concept of wisdom, of the, the common understanding of wisdom in our day and time. See, we've been taught by our culture that wisdom has everything to do with what you know. Right? At a very early age, we're taught that the pursuit of wisdom is the same thing as the pursuit of knowledge. The more knowledge you have, the more wise you are. In fact, in my mind, when I think of wisdom, wisdom gets pictured sort of like a gray-bearded professor with his glasses sort of down on his nose, surrounded by all kinds of books, perhaps writing on a chalkboard. But James says that true wisdom is shown by what it does. And so this, this sounds very familiar with what what James has already taught us in chapter 2, right? James said that true faith, it's not just agreeing with facts that are true, but true faith manifests itself in deeds of love and compassion. In the same way, wisdom has everything to do with how we live our lives, not just what we know. And so before we see what James says about the characteristics of worldly wisdom and godly wisdom, we need to be real clear about what James means by wisdom. For James, wisdom is not just being able to retain facts in one's brain. For James, wisdom is the ability to skillfully apply God's Word to real life. Wisdom is the ability to skillfully apply God's Word to real life. As he has already said, the truly wise one is the doer of God's Word, not just the hearer. The demons know all the facts. They have all the knowledge. But they're certainly not wise. True wisdom is shown by its actions, by its works. But notice something even more specific James says about wisdom in verse 13. James also says that wisdom is manifested in humility or meekness as the ESV translates it. The wise person is the humble person. The person who's living according to God's wisdom is going to manifest that wisdom by their humility, by their meekness. And so pride and arrogance and self-promotion 
are offensive to God and are opposed to God's ways. Where pride exists in our hearts, we can be sure that God's wisdom is not controlling our lives. James says true wisdom, godly wisdom, manifests itself in a humility, in a a humble life. God is the creator and giver of wisdom, not us. Wisdom doesn't come from us. Any true wisdom we have comes from God and not ourselves. And so James says true wisdom is demonstrated in actions and is always humble. It's demonstrated and it's demonstrated particularly in humility. So now, back to James's question. Who is wise and understanding among you? Who wants to raise their hand at this question? Which one of you would like to demonstrate your wisdom by your actions and particularly by your humility? It's kind of like the question we just sang. Who can teach the one who knows all things? Who's going to sign up for that responsibility? None of us. We all realize that we need God's wisdom. And so what James does in verses 14 through 18, after convincing us that we need wisdom, is he contrasts these two different kinds of wisdom in order to help us identify false wisdom and in order to help us embrace true wisdom. And so let me draw your attention to four truths in these verses about wisdom. Two truths about worldly wisdom and two truths about godly wisdom. Here they are. Number one, worldly wisdom is opposed to God's truth. The wisdom of this world is opposed to the truth of God. So in verses 14 through 16, James describes the origin the characteristics, and the result of wisdom that is, he says, false to the truth. This wisdom is false to God's truth. And so if you boil it all down, what James is basically saying is that worldly worldly wisdom is diametrically opposed to everything God is for. Worldly wisdom is diametrically opposed to the glorious God of creation. The world's wisdom is not neutral. It's not, ah, you can take it or leave it. No, it is offensive to God, and it is false to the truth. Notice how James describes the origins of this false wisdom in verse 15. James says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is where? From where? He says, it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. So James says what this false wisdom is not. It is not from above. It's not from God. And James says what what this wisdom is. It's earthly. It's unspiritual. And it's demonic. This is why I've chosen to call this wisdom worldly wisdom. Because it's from the world. It's earthly. It's only concerned with the here and now. The wisdom that's opposed to God's truth is the wisdom that's only concerned with the here and now. Worldly wisdom doesn't concern itself with eternity and with spiritual matters. Have you ever noticed how enamored our culture is with the present? Almost every commercial on television is designed to press us to get more now. One of the evidences that wisdom is not from God is that it's preoccupied with this life and neglects eternity. James also says this false wisdom is unspiritual. 
Worldly wisdom is only concerned with what it can see and taste and touch. False wisdom values what is physical over what is spiritual. The evidences of this kind of wisdom abound in our culture as well, right? The world around us is fascinated with our physical bodies and our physical possessions. Diet, exercise, health, houses, cars, clothes, money dominate the thoughts of worldly wisdom. However, the most important part of us, the most important part of you, your soul, your relationship with God goes neglected and forgotten. And so James says, beware of any wisdom that focuses on the physical and neglects the spiritual. Beware of any wisdom that caters to your flesh and causes you to neglect your soul. James also says this wisdom is demonic. It's of the devil. Ultimately, worldly wisdom comes from the pit of hell itself. Remember what James said about the tongue? The untamed tongue, he says, is set on fire by hell. It's the same place that worldly wisdom comes from. Remember in the Garden of Eden, the very first sin in human history was prompted by demonic wisdom. Right? In love, God said, don't eat from the tree of this, don't eat from the fruit of this tree. Eat from the, the fruit of all the other trees, but not this one, God says. And Satan, the father of worldly wisdom, says, oh, come on. Hey, Really? I mean, doesn't the fruit of this tree look so delicious? I mean, why is God withholding something good from you? I mean, think about how good it will taste right now. I mean, don't, don't you want to taste it now? Don't worry about the consequences. You see what James is doing? James is teaching us how to detect worldly wisdom when it comes at us and when it comes from within us. James is giving us a framework for evaluating the wisdom that we are bombarded with every single day of our lives. The wisdom that is false to God's truth. For example, God commands us to honor Him with our wealth. We are to be generous and we are to be cheerful in giving to His purposes. But what do we hear every single day from the world? The world says to us, get all you can while you can. Don't give that would be to waste, but rather buy, buy, buy. Get a lot of nice things so that you'll be liked by others. Think about the here and now. Don't worry about the consequences of debt and materialism. And James says, that is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Or another example, God says about marriage, what I join together, let no man separate. God says, I hate divorce. And yet our world says to us, our world daily throws at us, God wants you to be happy. You're not happy with that man or that woman, are you? Surely God doesn't want you to be unhappy. I mean, think about yourself. Think about the here and now. Don't worry about the consequences. James says that kind of thinking is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. It is opposed to God's truth. It is false to the truth. And so evaluate yourself. Are you captivated by the world's wisdom? Think about it this way. What's the difference between the wisdom that controls your life and your decisions and the wisdom that controls your neighbor who doesn't trust in Christ? 
Are y'all operating off the same worldly wisdom? Or are you controlled by the wisdom of God? Worldly wisdom is opposed to God and opposed to God's ways and opposed to God's truth. Worldly wisdom will get you to question the truth of God at every turn in your life. Worldly wisdom is offensive to God. Well, here's the second truth about wisdom that James gives us in this passage. It says, worldly wisdom destroys relationships. Worldly wisdom destroys relationships. Notice how James describes the characteristics and results of worldly wisdom in both verse 14 and verse 16. In both verse 14 and verse 16, James mentions bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Worldly wisdom, James says, is dominated by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. You see, at its very core, worldly wisdom is self-absorbed. Worldly wisdom only cares about self. The wisdom of this world is founded on bitter jealousy. Everybody wants what everyone else has. Everyone wants everyone else to fail. Where envy and covetousness exist, you can be sure that worldly wisdom is present. Do, Do you have bitterness and jealousy in your heart? If you do, that is not the wisdom that comes from God. That is not the wisdom that should be controlling your life and your decisions. And what can we say about selfish ambition in this culture? Listen to me. Ambition is a good thing. Ambition can be very good. We are supposed to have godly ambition. However, most ambition we experience is selfish ambition. It's ambition for things that will benefit us at the expense of others. I think selfish ambition is sort of woven into our culture today. We're taught at a very early age to go after our dreams without care for anyone else, without care how our pursuits affect others. Selfish ambition is is so, so much a part of us, and I think we can hardly even detect when it's present in our lives. Friends, beware of any wisdom that appeals to your selfish ambition. It is not from God. It may seem like it's good because it resonates so deeply with your selfish ambition, but it's not from God. Notice what James says are the results of this worldly wisdom in verse 16. What will this wisdom result in? For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Worldly wisdom destroys relationships. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition are the root of relational conflict. In fact, Notice what James says in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. God willing, we'll look at this passage next week. But James says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. See, worldly wisdom asks, what can I get out of it? How will this thing advance my cause no matter what I have to do to others to get it? This is the root of so many conflicts. The root of our marriage and family problems is operating 
in the realm of this worldly wisdom. The root of our relationship problems in the church is that we've adopted the wisdom of the world. The worldly wisdom says, and don't let them treat you like that. Worldly wisdom says, you have rights. You have a right to be loved. You have a right to be respected. But godly wisdom says, I have no rights. I'm a sinner who deserves nothing but the wrath of God. I've been redeemed by Christ in order that I would humble myself and consider others better than myself. We've all seen how jealousy and selfish ambition have ruined relationships in the home, on the job, in the political arena, and even in the church itself. Friends, beware of any wisdom that cultivates a jealousy and a covetousness and an envy and a selfish ambition in you. Forsake any wisdom that encourages disorder and every vile practice. Worldly wisdom will destroy every important relationship in your life. But friends, here's the good news. The good news is that Jesus has come to restore Jesus took on flesh in order to bear in his body the jealousy and the selfish ambition of our hearts. Jesus died to restore the, relationship that, the relationships that we have demolished by our worldly wisdom, by our jealousy and our selfish ambition. What a wise Savior we have. What a wise Savior that you can run to this morning in the midst of all of your broken relationships. Run to the one who can restore and the one who can save. Well, here's the third truth about godly wisdom that James teaches us. Godly wisdom reflects the character of Jesus. How can we identify what godly wisdom is? Well, it reflects the character of our Savior. So in verses 17 and 18, James gives us the origin, the characteristics, and the result of true wisdom now. Notice that worldly wisdom and godly wisdom are direct opposites. These two wisdoms are in no way compatible. They are at war with each other. So wisdom from the world is self-centered. Wisdom from God is God-centered. Particularly God's wisdom reflects the character of our Savior. He is our master and He's our model. He left an example that we should follow in His steps. And so notice that James gives about seven characteristics of godly wisdom in verse 17. We're going to briefly think about each one. But notice that many of these characteristics are simply fruit of the Spirit that Paul gives us in Galatians 5. Also, many of these find their parallel in the Beatitudes that Jesus gave us. Now, remember James's main point is that wisdom manifests itself in actions. That's the main point. Wisdom manifests itself in actions. So, what kind of actions? What kind of actions does true wisdom manifest itself in? Well, he says, first, pure. James says, godly wisdom is first or primarily pure. It is unmixed. It is undiluted with sin. God's wisdom is unstained with depravity. God is pure. God is holy. And His wisdom is pure. His wisdom is holy. So you can spot godly wisdom primarily by its promotion of purity and clean and holy living. Secondly, James says, peaceable. Godly wisdom promotes and sustains peace. True wisdom cultivates reconciliation, not disorder and disunity. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. 
And we are to follow in His footsteps by being peacemakers. So beware of wisdom that does not promote peace. Beware of wisdom that does not promote reconciliation. Third, he says, gentle. God's wisdom is not harsh. God's wisdom is not rude. It is patient. It is forgiving. It is kind. Now when you hear the word gentle, don't think weak. Gentleness is not weakness. Jesus was certainly not weak, but He described Himself as gentle and lowly of heart in His care for His sheep. Are you gentle? Are you gentle in your relationships at home? When you're having an argument at home, are you gentle? Do you speak with gentleness on the job, with your coworkers, with your employees? God's wisdom is gentle. Fourth, He says it's open to reason. Now, I'm not exactly sure what James has in mind by open to reason here. Maybe he's referring to someone who doesn't always demand to be right. This may be a reference to humility and submission to others. Though wronged, a person who is open to reason would be willing to forego his own rights for the good of others. This is the sort of maybe opposite of selfish ambition. God's wisdom produces people who are incredibly patient and humble. Or another way to view this word would be the word teachable. The person who's open to reason is, is teachable. Being teachable means you're open to correction. You're open to rebuke. It means you don't immediately defend yourself when someone corrects you, but you, you evaluate yourself. You're open to that. Being teachable means you ask for advice and you're actually willing to listen to others' perspectives, particularly those who are wiser than you. Fifth, he says, full of mercy and good fruits. So he says, godly wisdom abounds in mercy, showing mercy to others, treating them better than they deserve, and it's full of good fruit. People who have known the mercy of God in Jesus are people who are full of mercy toward others. Listen, if you've been shown mercy, to not show mercy to others is incredibly blasphemous. If you've been shown so much mercy in your sin, to not extend it to others is to not show the godly wisdom that reflects the glory of Christ. God has been merciful to us so that we can be merciful to others. And so reject any wisdom that doesn't overflow with mercy and good and pleasing fruit. Six, James says, impartial. Now, James has already addressed partiality in detail in chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. God's wisdom does not create people who play favorites for their own benefit. God's wisdom does not produce people who judge based on appearances, but who judge rightly according to the truth. So like Jesus, God's wisdom produces people who love those that the world rejects. That's the point of being impartial, to love those whom the world rejects. And then finally, James says, it's sincere. It's sincere. True wisdom lacks all hypocrisy. True wisdom is not double-minded. Godly wisdom is genuine. It's authentic and it is sincere. You can spot godly wisdom by its integrity. Doing what's right even when it's hard is a mark of godly wisdom. It's always the right time to do the right thing. So think about these seven characteristics. A believer who is consistently characterized by these virtues 
would impact the world for the glory of Jesus. What if we were characterized by these seven things? The world would take notice. And so after reading these characteristics of true wisdom, ask yourself, am I characterized by these things? Are my relationships characterized by this kind of of wisdom? I mean, put your name in verse 17. Put your name in there. Can, Can you say, I am peaceable or pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere? We should quickly realize how much we lack God's wisdom in our lives. We are all born under the control of the world's wisdom. We are all self-seeking. And it's only in Jesus and the new birth that He has purchased on the cross that we can ever hope to glorify God by displaying this kind of wisdom. Beloved, immediately reject any wisdom that does not reflect the character of Jesus. James is helping us here by giving us a framework to evaluate how we make decisions, to evaluate what we embrace in this life. We are either ruled by the world's wisdom, which produces pride, or we're ruled by God's wisdom, which produces the character of Jesus, who was gentle and lowly of heart. Well, the fourth truth, and the final one is this. God's wisdom, or godly wisdom accomplishes God's purposes. Godly wisdom produces something. It accomplishes something. It accomplishes the purposes of God. And so verse 18 describes the positive result of God's wisdom. Verse 18 says, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So remember in verse 16 we learn that worldly wisdom has destructive results. In verse 18 we learn that godly wisdom produces a harvest of righteousness. Think about this word picture of the harvest. To farmers, a harvest is one of the most precious realities. The harvest pictures an abundance. right? All the hard work is worth it when the harvest arrives. Friends, when we follow God's wisdom, when we display the characteristics of true wisdom in our lives, we are part of the spiritual harvest that God is working. When we follow the wisdom from above, our lives are used by God to produce an abundance of righteousness, a harvest of righteousness and peace for His glory. What is your life producing? What's the the outflow of your life? What happens in your wake? Do you leave peace? Do you leave righteousness all around you? John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus said that apart from Him, we can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, we can produce nothing of eternal value in our lives. And I think we can say the same thing of wisdom. Apart from God's wisdom, nothing of eternal significance will be harvested in our lives. And this is why God's wisdom is so valuable. This is why we seek it like gold. This is why we we seek it like it's a priceless treasure. James is giving us a contrast here so that we might evaluate whether we are following the real gold or the fool's gold. If you want to accomplish God's purposes... 
reject the wisdom of the world and embrace the wisdom of God. Now, how do we do that practically? Let me close with just a few brief points of application. In fact, just two points with a couple sub-points. And here's the first one. Don't be so impressed with the world's wisdom. Can I just warn you based on this passage? Don't be so impressed by the wisdom of this world. Beloved, don't be fooled by the flashy wisdom of the world. All that glitters is not gold. Learn to test the ideas and proposals and demands that are thrown at you every day by these tests. Don't be tricked by the counterfeit wisdom that operates this culture. Why do we do this? Why do we run to the world for advice on how to manage our money, how to parent our kids, how to cultivate intimacy in our marriage, which political issues to fight for, and even sometimes how to run the church? Why do we go to the world for things that God has already given us His wisdom on? Why are godless athletes, movie stars, CEOs, and politicians our heroes? Let's learn not to be so impressed with the wisdom of the world. James gives us a true picture of the world's wisdom. It is opposed to God and it creates disorder and every vile and evil practice. Don't be so impressed with the world's wisdom. But secondly, seek God's wisdom as if your life depends on it. The second point of application is seek God's wisdom as if your life depends on it. God's wisdom is more precious than gold. And so go after it with all your might. Well, how do we do that? How do we practically seek God's wisdom? Let me give you four quick suggestions. First, pray for wisdom. Remember James chapter 1, verse 5? If any of you lacks wisdom, and you do lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. God is the giver of wisdom, and He desires to give it generously to those who ask in faith. And God is not withholding wisdom from us. He's not withholding His wisdom. He wants to give it to us, and He says, ask me for it. Seek me for it. This should be a daily prayer of ours. God, give me wisdom today. It certainly should be a prayer we pray over every decision that we make in our lives. God, give me wisdom to reflect your character, to honor you in this decision. Secondly, get around some wise people. Get around wise people. God often, uses, often gives wisdom to us through those who know His wisdom. Proverbs says there's wisdom in the counsel of many. And so don't be a lone ranger Christian. Seek wisdom by humbling yourself and positioning yourself to learn from those who are living in the wisdom that is from above. This requires humility. It is not easy to ask for advice, to ask for help. But this is what we must do. Get around wise people who we can learn from. Third, saturate yourself in the Scripture. How does God give wisdom? He gives wisdom through His Word. God has given us His wisdom already in His Word. He will direct us. He will guide us by His Word. And so seek God's wisdom by saturating your soul in the truth of Scripture. And finally, number four, treasure Jesus in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom. Jesus is the clearest display of God's wisdom in all the universe. 
If you want to know God's wisdom, it is the person of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.11, I mean, 1 Corinthians 1.11, Paul says, Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. Colossians 2.3, Paul says that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Friends, God has hidden and that is now displayed His wisdom in the cross of Jesus Christ. So many so-called wisdoms which do not conform to and glory in the cross of Christ are not true wisdom. They are fool's gold. God has chosen to locate His wisdom in the person and work of Jesus. And so if you're not trusting in Jesus this morning, your life is dominated by the wisdom of this world. There's no doubt about it. Because only in and through a relationship with Jesus can you even know God's wisdom. Can you even be controlled by God's wisdom? And so look to Jesus. No matter where you are, no matter where you are on your journey of spiritual life with God, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus in whom are hidden all the treasures wisdom and knowledge and insight. Pursue it like you're pursuing gold. Let's pray together. Lord, give us wisdom. We cry out to you for your pure and perfect wisdom. Would you fill us with your wisdom in such a way that we would reject all counterfeits. Lord, help us not to be fooled by the counterfeit wisdom of the world. Help us not to be fooled by the wisdom that would lead us astray from you, but, oh God, help us to submit ourselves in humility to your wisdom. And, oh God, I pray as you give us wisdom, even now, I pray we would show that wisdom by our lives, by our deeds, by our love, with our relationships. Oh God, we need you in all these things. You're our only hope. Our only hope in life and death. Your only hope. We trust in You. We cling to You and Your promises. So Lord, help us. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.